Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you would like to be on the show, you could always contact me on any of the contact links in the description of this show. And of course, if you'd like to rate the show too, well, sure, go ahead and do that. Uh, it would help me out a ton. Uh, all right, on the show today, would you, uh, wouldn't you like to drive down a road and just get all green lights. Wouldn't that be the perfect day? Uh, I, I, I sure, sure would. Well, there's a company in California. It's called Light. Now, they're spelled L-Y-T. They call themselves Light. And they say that they are a firm that works with city transportation officials on ways to leverage existing traffic infrastructure, basically the equipment that's already on a traffic signal, uh, the signal itself, the signal box, all that stuff. And they use AI technology to better synchronize the green lights, especially for uh, buses and um, and for emergency responders. It, it sounds like it's an interesting idea. Sounds pretty promising. And so I've invited Director of Marketing at Light, Bobby Lee, to be on the show. And he's going to join me here in just a few minutes to talk more about that and and everything and how it works. Well, anyway, Volvo, in about eight weeks from now, is going to be unveiling their new flagship electric vehicle. It's called the EX90. It will be on November 9th, but the in the run-up before the announcement, the company has teased a number of interesting features as part of this car, including long-range LiDAR and in-car sensors that they say will detect when a driver may be distracted or intoxicated. Now, this new technology is designed to boost Volvo's reputation for safety, and they're also trying to use this AI-powered software to prevent fatal traffic collisions. Now, Volvo says their new car will feature eight cameras, five radars, 16 ultrasonic sensors, and a cutting-edge LiDAR sensor. Now, LiDAR sensors, they get mounted on the roof, and they basically aid the driver. They help the driver in avoiding exterior obstacles. And they also have two cameras inside the vehicle. And they are supposed to monitor the driver's eye behavior. And that's supposed to determine whether the driver is paying attention to what they're supposed to be doing driving or might even be impaired. Now, if the car determines that the driver is distracted, then the cameras will pick up on that, they say. And the vehicle will issue a series of warnings intended to bring the focus of the driver back to the road. But if the driver still is not responding, the vehicle will begin to automatically slow down eventually coming to a full stop on the side of the road, and then it will activate the hazard lights. That'll be a neat trick when uh, there's bad weather or it's snowing or in other instances where there's no place to pull over. Uh, Volvo said their research shows that by simply observing where the driver is looking and how often and for how long their eyes are closed, they can tell a lot about the state of the driver. Isn't this your car uh, having a little bit too much power over what it is supposed to be doing, which is just letting you drive it? Because Volvo has been talking about using in-car cameras to prevent drunk driving for years. Um, The automaker previously predicted the release of technology that would do this by 2020. It's a little bit delayed, but they're still working on it. And this is all right after the NTSB came out recently to say they want federal regulators 
to require passive alcohol detection systems in all new vehicles. They also want to recommend intelligent speed control systems in your new car that would automatically slow down your car in case there's a problem. What defines a problem? Hmm, good question. Uh, my my freedom from government intrusion antennas are on high alert with uh, the, those two things. Uh, are uh, they, they, they say they're doing this to save us from ourselves because the rate of fatal crashes are on the rise. But at the heart of freedom is the freedom to drive within reason the way you want, as long as you don't hurt others. Uh, and... It, I guess even if you die doing it, because look at motorcycles, right? Why not require helmets for all motorcycle riders or some kind of a... There was a guy in um, uh, Hawaii. I think he was working... He was a, a college student and working on some kind of a grant thing or some kind of a project where uh, you would actually have a, a jacket of some sort. And if, if it felt you falling off a motorcycle, it would puff up um, <laughs> like a giant marshmallow and you wouldn't get injured if you were on your motorcycle. I don't think that technology went anywhere, but why not have something like that required for all motorcycle users? Why not require all motorcycle riders to have a helmet if it's safe for them, right? I mean, there's already technology that can be attached to your car if someone's been convicted of a DUI and they're already under alcohol restrictions. Computers are not perfect. Giving them the ability to stop your car if it thinks you are impaired or you're distracted I can see leading to a lot of problems. And and what about the government intrusion on what you're doing? I mean, imagine, let's say you had a couple of beers, right? Uh, but at the same time, a person next to me at the bar accidentally, let's say the bartender is cutting up limes uh, for my Corona and chops off the end of his finger. Well, it would be a lot quicker for me to uh, throw some ice in a cup as well as the rest of the finger uh, and then just drive that person to the hospital, then wait for an ambulance. Uh, but w- let's say we get in the car and the car thinks I'm too impaired because I've had a couple of beers to drive and it won't go. And the delay costs the guy a finger. Or let's say you have a heart attack or somebody has a heart attack and it's faster for you because of where you are to put the person in a car and drive 10 blocks to a hospital and get that person there and and the help they need. But the car thinks that you're impaired, so it won't go. And that person ends up dying because it would take too much time to call 911, get the dispatcher, get the ambulance going there, and then try to revive the person when, when seconds matter. In, in, a, in a heart attack or a stroke or other or choking, right? Uh, why, why not be able to use your car in these emergency situations? Um, I, I just don't like the idea of a car telling me when and, and, and if I can or can't drive it. Um, I'm not ready for that kind of robot technology right now. Now, if, if you see this differently than me, then, then you could, of course, send me a note. Uh, or call the listener hotline at 303-832-0217 and let me know what you think. But uh, it's uh, it's got my um, uh, privacy-slash-safety-slash-intrusive-government antenna on full alert there. All right, back to the new Volvo. LiDAR, uh, as uh, I've mentioned in previous episodes, it's, it's really the key ingredient to autonomous driving. It's a uh, it's a laser sensor. It uses infrared light, and it helps detect shapes of objects. 
And that uh, helps the autonomous vehicle basically, air quotes here, see other road users like cars or pedestrians and, and bicyclists and, and anything else that might be on the road. It tries to identify those things. Uh, it, it's not it, it nearly as great as your eyes. With your eyes, you can just take a quick glance and, and, and within a, a few nanoseconds, you know exactly what is on the roadway, whether it's a piece of a tire or a candy wrapper or, or in the case of me driving on the highway today, it was some of this red uh, tape uh, like this, you know, that that, that uh, construction tape or, or let's say a police tape, police line tape. It was like that, but it was red and this big bundle of it. I don't think a LIDAR would ever, somebody is going to have to program all these things into a computer and then the computer has to be able to recognize this from, you know, thousands of other things. Well, me, my brain, my eyes, I can see exactly what it is, identified it, see if it's a threat. Uh, know that it's just going to float up in the air and not get, hopefully, caught up in the wheels. So I think those uh, issues with LIDAR, radar, all these things are going to be an issue moving forward until it can all be identified. That's why I think self-driving is many, many uh, years down the road. Uh, Anyway, laser sensors, they, they tend to be very expensive, there's one company selling units for like $75,000 each. Now, the price has come down. Uh, Luminar, the Florida-based company, supplies Volvo's LiDAR. They say they hope to have the price of their sensors down to about $1,000 per unit with the goal of getting that number cut in half to about $500. But all of that is priced into the price of your Volvo and why it's a little bit more expensive. Now, Volvo is one of the few automakers to include the high-powered sensor, calling it an essential ingredient in its quest to completely eliminate traffic fatalities. Well, the only way to do that is to take the human element out of it. And maybe that's their goal. Um, They are in Sweden, um, so they don't have the same uh, privacy um, concerns that we do in the United States. Uh, The EX90's LiDAR... They say it's going to have a range of 250 yards. I would say that's uh, pretty good. Probably better than you can really clearly see with your eyes. And have the ability to detect something as small and as dark as a tire on a black road, 120 yards, all while driving at highway speeds. The EX90 will also be, they say, the first model to feature Volvo's new advanced driver assist system called Ride Pilot, which will enable the vehicle to drive itself without driver input on the highway. Volvo officials have said that the Ride Pilot will not require drivers to watch the road while activated. The feature will go live in California as a subscription service pending approval from California state regulators. It's all going towards self-driving. And that's fine. But again, are we trying to push these systems too quickly on everybody? <laughs> are we just testing them with live people? I, I, I guess only time will tell. I'm, I'm not sure how to go about that. But again, if you have comments, you could always get me on the listener hotline. There's no doubt that traffic continues to increase after the COVID shutdowns every single week. And one way to keep traffic flowing is by tra- proper signal timing. I get complaints all the time about how badly some roads and some of the signals are timed around Metro Denver. There's a company in California, it's called Light, L-Y-T, 
They say they're a firm that works with city transportation officials on ways to leverage existing traffic infrastructure to use AI technology for better syncing of green lights. The company is described as an intelligent, connected traffic technology provider that offers a cloud-based platform that orchestrates today's intelligent transportation systems. Okay, well, what does that mean in plain English? Let's find out. Joining me now to talk about this is Bobby Lee. Bobby is the Director of Marketing at Light, again spelled L-Y-T. You can visit them at their website, lyt.ai. Bobby, thanks so much for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Great to be with you, Jason. All right, Bobby. So what exactly does Light do in English terms, if you will? So I just described some of that. Just Do you just change traffic signals from red to green? No, no. We really add some intelligence behind what's happening at each of those signals. You know, if you think about it, the traffic signal is really the only control device on the roadway. Uh, We put blind faith into it that's going to operate 100% of the time. Uh, But it can only see so far. It it can only see as far as 50, 100, 150 feet out, as far as those sensors go, right? And there's some ways that cities have have connected those signals together to make them a little bit more intelligent. But what we're saying here is there's a higher level of information, a higher level of uh, analyses that can be put to really help bring in better and more granular control of those signals. And we effectuate that today through uh, what we call emergency vehicle preemption and transit signal priority. And we, we can get into that a little bit later, but it's just, a, it's just another way of, of really using that existing resource, the existing roadway, the existing infrastructure to move more people more efficiently. Yeah, we will talk more about that because I think it's a pretty interesting part of your technology coming up in a bit. What made you interested in joining a company that is involved in signals and signal timing? Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's something that I would have never imagined uh, that I, I would get into in my career. But, you know, what's what's interesting is, uh, you know, I, I, I'm with I, I, I sit on a, on a on a transit board out here in in, uh, in California. And uh, as you know, California traffic is notorious for being really, really tough to get through and trying to get our buses through uh, has been uh, has always been an issue. And so uh, we look to what many transit agencies look to, which were which was transit uh, signal priority. Um, and these are in 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 the way it's set up today in, in many municipalities. It's basically a hardware based transmitter and receiver that changes light green as the bus comes through. And it, it's worked for you know a while, for decades. It's been around since the 60s, um, but the technology had never been updated. So you know, I had always looked towards uh, there. You know, there had to be a better way uh, to uh, to really move these buses, move folks through, and that wasn't so disruptive as some of these uh, pieces of hardware can be at the intersections. So um, when I looked deeper into it, I realized there's a whole world of of devices and software and, and and cloud-based solutions and there's ways that we can really you know attack congestion and bring more control to roadway but it's not being implemented and 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 there's a, quite a number of reasons why but i realized this is something that we can do today that i can be a part of to help make change in my community Interesting. My guest is Bobby Lee, the director of marketing at Light. It's spelled L-Y-T. We're talking about traffic signal technology. You can visit their website, lyt.ai. 
let's look at how all of this comes together. You were talking about the signal box and the signals, and, and really the technology hasn't changed very much, but there has to be a better way, as you said, to connect all of this together. So is there a computer that's watching the traffic? Are there cameras and people watching the traffic and then changing the signals to get vehicles to flow better on certain roads? How does all that come together? All of the above. Uh, cities all across America are using various pieces of what you just said. They're either using more advanced technology, they're using different pieces of hardware, cameras, sensors, you name it, uh, uh, from uh, radio to to short-range radar uh, and so on. The technology is out there, and there are companies that are experimenting uh, with a lot of this. But uh, the reality is that the vast majority of cities cannot afford this technology. And where light comes in play here is we're really helping to bring a lot of this new technology, especially bringing artificial intelligence and machine learning principles to the roadway at a fraction of the cost of what it, what are a lot of very hardware heavy solutions out there. Can the AI learn traffic patterns? Can it learn when traffic jams usually happen? I, I know this just from watching traffic over 25 years here in Metro Denver. I, I know when traffic's going to slow down in, in the exact same spots basically every day. Can the computers mm. learn that and then help traffic flow better by changing signals? Well, you know, we with AI and machine learning principles, we, we can really train models around that. But what we're focused on here is, for example, with transit buses, using AI and machine learning to learn their patterns, to learn how they pick up passengers, how they sit at the bus stops, um, where the delays are, are they on schedule? That's what we're looking at with, with our models, with our AI, and we want to be able to drive that green light, a perfectly timed green light for those buses uh, based on historical patterns and what they're experiencing currently. Yeah, I was reading that in San Jose, your technology is actually helping these buses get through traffic faster, probably working differently than what we have here in Denver, where we have a few traffic lights that actually have a specific bus light at the signal that allows them to go first, especially if they need to go from one side of the street to the other. And so they can make a left turn up the road. It allows them to go first. So your technology is really helping buses get through those green lights and maybe uh, their passengers more efficiently getting to their destination. Yeah. And, you know, that that uh, Q jump lane that you talked about is just another tool in the toolbox for uh, transit agents, agencies to get those buses prioritized. Uh, what we did in the city of San Jose really helped them to speed up, uh, you know, the bus on, on, on what uh, was Route 77 up, up and down East San Jose, um, a very, very interesting mixed corridor with many different uses. Um, and also many different demands. They had many pieces, different pieces of hardware technology in various intersections. And so, uh, you know, as our solution being hardware agnostic, we came in and we said, we can speed up these, uh, you know, these buses, keep them on time. And that's exactly what we did. We brought a 20% improvement in travel time and we re reduced emissions in that neighborhood by 14%. And probably frustrations, because one of my frustrations whenever I've ridden on a bus is that it seems like it takes so long to get to where you want to go. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing. Riders want dependability, reliability. They want to know that uh, the bus is going to show up on time and it's going to get them uh, to the destination on time. And that's, that's the problem right now is uh, when you don't have a prioritization technology in place, 
you're sort of guessing it could come a little bit early. That bus could come a little bit late. You're not sure. Maybe you add five or 10 minutes. That uncertainty leads to a mode shift, which is changing the method of traveling away from uh, transit to back into their cars. And we know post-COVID, folks were afraid of, you know, the virus getting on, uh, you know, to catching it on the bus. They were more willing to buy their own vehicles, get in their own cars, get back on the roadway. We are all uh, contributing to that traffic issue. So now how do we encourage folks to come back onto transit? Because that is really the most efficient means that we have uh, to get people uh, from point A to point B today. Uh, and how do we do that in, in through uh, through providing a robust service, reliable service, uh, and one that that uh, they're going to enjoy writing. And that's through tools like uh, Transit Signal Priority. Does your AI system then prioritize buses over personal vehicles, not just to allow the buses to flow better, but to make it less convenient for people in their cars to get around a city, thusly trying to get more people on a bus rather than let them drive in their car by themselves? So that exact problem is uh, what we see with existing legacy hardware-based technology that many cities are using. We commissioned a survey uh, earlier this year. We found that about 40% of cities in the U.S. that have a transit signal priority solutions are still using this 1960s-based transmitters, these transceivers. Um, and that's exactly the problem is that when these buses come up to the intersection, maybe within 100 feet, 150 feet, they're going to get a green light. And that's going to reset the way that that signal is, is working and it's going to really cause disruption on the side streets. So one of the things that we set out to do was figure out how do we minimize that disruption while maximizing uh, the green lights for those buses. And, and that is what we've, we've trained our uh, models for. And that's really the, uh, the great part of, of our solution that we provide cities. If you're a driver, you know, you've sat there before and you've seen like, why is this bus getting a green light? And it's and and all of a sudden it's, it's still getting in green. It's gone. It's been gone for, for three minutes. Why why is that side of the street still getting in green? That's the problem with legacy transit signal priority technologies. So uh, we're in this market to bring a new generation of technology that's driven by AI that can really, again, provide that perfectly timed green light and minimizing the impacts on the side streets. But it w does it prioritize transit over single-use cars or a car that might have two people in it? Well, you know, we we follow what the uh, the city's uh, rules are around what they want to see happen in those intersections. So we ourselves uh, will not make that determination of saying, you know, we're going to put a bus over a car with two people or three people. Uh, frankly, we 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 can't see that. We can't see that there are only two people in this vehicle, or three people in this vehicle. But what we're saying is if the light is green or if we can give them an earlier green or give the bus a later, uh, an extended green, we're going to uh, provide them that ability to continue on to keep them on schedule. My guest is Bobby Lee. He's the director of marketing at Light. It's spelled L-Y-T. We're talking about traffic signal technology and their AI uh, system in, in the world of advanced transit signal priority there, there really has to be two parts to this thing uh, there's the unit there's the traffic there's the signal box there the, what really what's in the cabinet if you will and another unit is placed in or on a vehicle so there's two parts of it and it seems like it would be quite the task to get these units on hundreds of vehicles, the cabinet is one thing, but to get, get uh, you know something talking to the cabinet on hundreds, if not thousands, of vehicles and have them talk to each other, that has to be monumentally difficult. Oh yeah, and and that's how the existing legacy solutions out there have been operating. You're talking about 
tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars in hardware, staff time, calibration, testing. Uh, this is why it's been so hard to prioritize transit, for example, uh, or our the sister technology for emergency vehicles called emergency vehicle preemption. Um, it's been hard because it's so expensive to put this hardware in. And you take the vehicle out of service, you know, and so on and so forth. It's it's nearly impossible. So uh, you know, with the light solution, whether it's on transit or whether it's on emergency vehicles, we don't put any additional hardware uh, on those vehicles. Uh, we don't put any additional hardware in the intersections. Uh, we use existing communication infrastructure. We use the existing uh, location information from those buses or emergency vehicles. And we use that to uh, to understand where they're at, where they're headed, and to give them those perfectly timed green lights. So it's quick to deploy. In fact, we can deploy our emergency vehicle preemption solution, solution in just a couple of days. Um, and it, it's much faster, lower cost, uh, lower uh, outlay by the city, and it, it really is a no-brainer for for cities like you know Denver to get on on board. And, and I want to talk more about that priority for emergency vehicles coming up in just a bit. But it, it seems like there is obviously the old legacy technology, but the new technology is having everything connected: the signal box to the cloud to 5G, to your car that's connected, and everything is talking to each other, because really isn't that the start of what AI can do to self for self-driving as we try to move towards that future? Absolutely. Look, you know, the, the issue today is that there needs to be a higher resolution of data available, right? We've got data siloed. You've got your Waze data over here. You've got um, maybe some experimentation and some uh, sensors on the roadside over here. It's all very siloed. So what everybody in this uh, intelligent transportation industry is working towards is trying to bring that data together. What can we do when we put all that movement data together? What can we do when we look at the schedules and where people are going, uh, you know, origin, destination, so on and so forth? But we have a higher resolution of that. You know, what if we what if we know here? Here's a hypothetical. What if we know uh, we can take into account how many folks are on the bus or, you know, maybe that ambulance over there is going to a really, really critical patient uh, versus just a regular transport. Uh, and then what if we know, for example, you know, there's a backup here, there's a backup there, and we meld all that data together to help that light make a decision. So this is a higher level, higher resolution of data that all of us in the industry are trying to get to. But the question is, who's going to get there first? Well, and you're, and you're also talking about prioritizing some over many. And, and and who's making those decisions? Is it the computer? Is it a person who has decided to write the code to say, well, this event is higher than this event and this event? And and so you're, you're, in your example, you know, this critical patient is, but how critical is critical? And right. is the heart attack more important than the stroke? Or uh, are they equal? You know, how right. do you, pri or do you, so you're prioritizing a bus full of 50 people, but not 10 people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing. And you know, in, ex in the existing traffic controllers today, there are different levels of prioritization and and, and preemption, and there's different levels that are programmed by the city today. Um, they are the ones that make the determination. We're not here to to make that decision for the city. Uh, it, it really gets into actually a, a pretty ethical uh, dilemma, right? How do you make that that decision? So we empower the city to to draw up their own rules and we'll put those into place because really a city is in control not the vendors uh not the algorithm but what the city wants uh you know and and we're obviously going to help guide them along uh the way but 
what they want, we'll implement. And, and what they consider to be more critical, that's up to them. Um, but regardless, you know, that this ability to prioritize and preempt is there. It's up to, you know, the traffic engineers to figure out how they want to implement that. Yeah, that's it. Because it just popping off the top of my head, let's say that person that was in the ambulance a bit lower on the critical scale, but all of a sudden has a heart attack as part of the initial event they were having. So then that's more critical. So how does that information then get to the signals? And then <laughs> and then I'm thinking about, uh, let's say, an event where it's a concert, but the first couple of buses, because people haven't started arriving at the at, at the uh, parking lot, right, the, the shuttle lot, uh, mm-hmm. there's only 10 or 12 people on this shuttle bus when it could hold 60. Well, they were the first ones there, so why are they held longer? And then if those buses aren't getting to the event and then turning around and getting back to the parking lot, then those are going to be delayed uh, mm-hmm. because they weren't prioritized because there were fewer people on the bus, and then that's going to have a backup for the people coming from the shuttle lot. So I, I mean, those are just going through my head when you're, when you start trying to prioritize or a city or somebody starts trying to prioritize all these different scenarios. You know, in, in each of those, you know, you're talking about the stadium there. These are all really interesting events, really interesting mobility events. Right. Uh, and yes, there are the ethical issues and, and, and the questions of, you know, how do you prioritize? Um, but, but really, you know, it's about getting people to where they need to go, at the right time, consistently and efficiently, right? And uh, it, you can you can go down the rabbit hole. And I think that you know this is going to be a long term conversation, uh, just like we talk about you know data in, in 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 you know in your personal cloud email, you know whether it's Gmail or something like that. You know, these are all long conversations. How is it being treated? How are we handling that data? Uh, how is how is the city looking at data? So they're they're very very long term uh, uh, discussions that that we'll have to and will continue to need to be uh, discussed. My guest right now is the director of marketing at a company called Light L Y T. It's Bobby Lee. We're talking about traffic light and traffic signal technology. Uh, does your technology then track individual vehicles, or how do you know what vehicle is coming through there or would be coming through there? No, we, we, we don't track. And, and that's that's a big thing is, you know, privacy is at the center of, of what we do. We're not tracking individual drivers. Um, there are some uh, some other technologies, some competitors out there who rely on, say, an, a mobile app to be able to provide uh, that location information to a signal. Uh, we don't do that. Then how do you know that that's a bus compared to an ambulance compared to just a, me driving down the street? Yeah. So right now, uh, I would say the vast majority, you know, at least 90 percent of the the transit buses, uh, emergency emergency police fire out there. They have something called automatic vehicle location or AVL. It's a souped up GPS device inside their vehicle. And, uh, you know, in in particular with emergency, but also in certain cases with with transit, they've got a dispatch system tied into it. So we know uh, and and the city knows at any given time, you know, where the that bus is, you know, um, in in some cases you could get data on how many passengers are on there. uh, Are they behind schedule? What's their speed? Uh, This is all basic data that ties in and helps the dispatchers, whether it's emergency or transit, figure out. Do I need to reposition folks? How do I find the fastest responder to this incident, and so on and so forth? So that data is is already available on on most city vehicles. And when that vehicle comes up to a traffic signal, right now uh, there is that Opticon receiver that is mm. on top of a traffic pole. It's usually on the pole right there at the traffic signal. And and basically, if if you've ever seen on the top of a uh, 
uh, ambulance or fire truck, there's a strobe light, basically. And so if, as the strobe light hits the Opticon receiver, it knows that it's an emergency vehicle. It sends a signal to the signal box that gives that uh, emergency vehicle priority green to keep on going. Explain that, how sure. your technology can help get these folks without the Opticon through these mm -hmm. green lights faster. Sure. Uh, yeah, and 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 you mentioned you mentioned our competitor here, but the the, the really tough part with uh, with these optical transceivers and receivers is that you know what you're talking about is a little we call, call it a little birdie, a little birdie on top of the of the signal mast arm that can detect that uh, vehicle. Um, it requires again all that hardware to get installed, the intersection in the vehicle, uh, so on and so forth. It, it it just it's very very intensive, um, but when it works. You know, if you're headed straight on, it's perfect weather condition. It works. If, if you're at an angle, if you're there's 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 fog, there's snow, you could have problems. And so, what we're saying here is, forget all that, right? We we don't need to rely on all that heavy hardware. We already have location uh, based on that ABL or that super GPS device in the vehicle. We already know where they're headed if they're on a schedule for a bus. We already know if they're behind schedule. Let's just take that information and inform the signals. Heck, let's inform uh, the, the the future signals or signals down the roadway um, that, hey, this bus is coming, right? We're going to provide more data to more signals and let them have more contextual information to make those decisions. So it's not just, can I get within 150 feet to, to get enough, get close enough to trigger that light? It's more like, okay, this bus is on this roadway consistently every 15 minutes. Here, your next five, six, seven traffic lights, this bus is coming. This ambulance is coming. Here's what you need to know. You make a decision, traffic light. What do you want to do with this information? Uh, and again, that's it's important. It's important to note that we don't actuate those lights. We don't change those lights. That's up to the city. That's up to the actual light itself. We can provide as much information as we can, and it's going to follow whatever rules are set by the traffic engineer for the city. So really what light is providing is information about vehicles that could be coming up to these lights or routinely or when the traffic uh, or when a uh, emergency vehicle comes up to one of these uh, traffic lights that it's possible that they're coming up. It doesn't it. Uh, I'm yeah. not quite getting where the yeah. light technology connects everything. If there's somebody in the city that still has to program this stuff to to mm -hmm. to work, to change, to change the traffic signal. Yeah. Yeah. And sorry for the confusion there. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're, our platform in the cloud is taking this information from the vehicle, where it is, where it's headed, and we're seeing what the status of that signal is. And we're providing that vehicle data to the signal itself so it can make those decisions, right? We're not going to override the signal, but we're going to give it as, as much information as we can and say, hey, this bus is, is late. Give it a little bit more time if you can. Uh, give it a little bit more green light if you can. Um, and it's going to make decisions. Hey, I can do that. I'm going to go ahead and give it a, 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 a more of a green light there. Uh, so what we're doing is we're taking that information. We know, uh, you know, their schedule. We know where they're headed. We're gonna we're gonna provide you know that additional information to the light so they can make a decision on on you know whether to give it an extra green, whether to hold it back, uh, you know, whether to actuate the future signals down the down the same corridor. Because earlier you said that you don't track the vehicles, but you have to track a vehicle to be able to know where it is and that it's coming up to the traffic signal. And then yeah, have we don't have the vehicle talk to the mm -hmm. signal, right? Yeah, we don't track private vehicles, right? We're going to be tracking those uh, transit buses, uh, you know, and and ambulances, but we're not we're not tra tracking our you and I are not going to be tracked by our system. Okay, right? okay but it, it may be in the next five or ten or fifteen years that that's pretty much where vehicle technology is going. The new vehicles in fifteen years will be connected five G 
to traffic signals and because uh, right now you can buy an Audi that knows when that tra- you can read that traffic signal is still red and will be red for the next 20 19 18 seconds and it's counting down so you can make the judgment and slow down a little bit before you get to the traffic signal mm-hmm. if you can and then you wait for it to turn green then you keep on going absolutely there's a there's a lot of great uh, ideas and, and experiments that are out there, uh, just exactly what you're talking about with the Audi vehicles as well. And that's part of the larger industry play here is, again, when you have more data, you have more sensors, you have more receivers in the vehicles, you have that information, you know, what can you do with it? Is it actionable? What can you know? What what can you do with that data? Um, and, you know, we, we have one subset here working right now with transit and emergency vehicles. Um, you know, the, the big OEM manufacturer is going to be looking at, you know, again, you know, do you want to slow down? How long that red light is going to be red for, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. So as an industry, we're all working towards trying to figure out what is this ideal uh, set of information to help drivers really, um, you know, drive more efficiently. Uh, my guest is Bobby Lee, Director of Marketing at Light, uh, LYT, talking about traffic signal technology. Uh, I was reading one of your blog posts and articles there, and it was saying that about 73 75% or so of emergency vehicles operating at either the same response time or slightly slower response time uh, mm-hmm. in comparison to the last couple of years. So isn't one of the advantages of having the vehicle, the emergency vehicle, talk to the a signal having that technology allows really first responders you could probably get all the traffic that might be at a queue at a red light to clear out and then allow the traffic to uh to uh, be out of the way for those first responders because that's one of the complaints i hear about from them is that people won't get out of their way oh absolutely uh and and that's exactly what our survey found that, that you mentioned and, and you know we worked one city up up in the uh, sacramento region uh that had a very a particular problem with this you know these fire trucks couldn't get all the way through uh couldn't uh you know really stuck behind uh you know just mounds of traffic so absolutely you can you can precondition those signals and and, and get the traffic going so these uh these vehicles don't have to slow down and yeah, these, you're, these fire trucks. yeah, and you're primarily in the Bay Area. I think that's where you're based, right? Uh, we're actually all over. Uh, yeah, we're based here in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley, but we have deployments all across the U.S. So we mentioned San Jose, uh, mentioned up in Sacramento region. We're also right. uh, launching just this weekend in in Portland as well. So those are pretty large cities, um, as as you know. Uh, can smaller towns also use this technology? Absolutely. But here's the thing. You know, you don't want to overprescribe, right? A small town with one or two traffic lights without much congestion is not going to see too much benefit from this, right? There's a certain size of city and there's a certain size of um, a, a certain amount of congestion that where this is going to make a lot more sense, right? Uh, so uh, you can really spend millions and millions of dollars in, in, in hardware and technology and, and solutions like ours. Uh, but, you know, what, what are you solving for? Yeah. So, so really, there has to be a certain volume of traffic probably over a long period of time in a wide area to make this technology useful, not just if you're in Bakersfield and you have one roadway that's busy for a couple hours a day. You know, the the thing is, our we the way that we've set up our platform is is we want to bring in all the city's signals into our platform to really, you know, allow for that information to get out to all the signals for uh, police, fire, medical, transit to be able to move around. Uh, with uh, you know, in the city, with as much uh, with as many green lights as much information as possible. So it's 
it, there is a certain scale that, uh, not to say that we can't work with smaller cities, but there is a certain scale where you're going to see the benefits really shine. Um, and there could be other solutions that could help alleviate concerns in smaller cities. But, um, but you know, with, with light and with any transit signal priority solution, you're looking at um, benefits that really um, increase when you have more congestion and more folks uh, in town. And so if you're, let's say, you have some of this technology, like you said, there in San Francisco and Oakland as you go north up towards Napa, and uh, you're, you might not have that technology because this might not, you're, you're going to have some wine drinkers up there. Uh, obviously, they have problems with maybe drinking too much wine at one of the tasting rooms, but you're not really going to have a lot of congestion issues up there like you would back farther south at the Bay. Uh, yeah, I, you know, the, the congestion issues in Napa are a little bit different. You're, you're right about the wine drinkers. There's always the big rush to go up in the morning and then the right. big rush back home after the tasting rooms have closed. Uh, you know, it, it just really, every city is different and has a different set of challenges. And whatever city it is, we're going to go in there. We're going to try to figure out what it is and help provide them the best solution that we can uh, for them. And it, it may not be light, it may be something else, but we're going to try to be a partner with them uh, to help them figure out their solution. Because ultimately, it comes back to our tagline for a company, we're building better communities uh, by, by reducing that traffic. So where does this technology go from here? Is the goal to install this technology at every major city and then maybe work to smaller cities across the country? Look, we're going to go to any city that is uh, open to looking at new technology to solve these age-old problems, right? Uh, it, any any city can implement our solution. We're going to go in there and we're going to want to get into as many cities as we can. Um, and it doesn't matter, big or small, we want to chat with everybody. You know, if, if you're in a city, whether you're in an urban uh, core or you're in a suburb, uh, or or you're out somewhere else. We want to talk with those transit uh, those uh, transit agencies, those uh, traffic engineers, those public works officials, the the folks in those uh, you know the mayors and the council people to to really let them know there is another way to look at their congestion issues. You mentioned New York City. They have moved or will be moving very soon to that congestion pricing, charging drivers to enter into the urban core. Um, uh, London has done this. Uh, Paris has done. Other large cities have done this already to reduce traffic in those urban cores. But your technology might help eliminate some of those delays. Is this a way to say, hey, New York City, you can have this technology and you don't have to worry. You don't have to go tax people to drive into your town. You know, uh, congestion pricing is just one tool in the toolbox that these 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 planners, transit planners, traffic engineers, the city officials have. Um, it's a very uh, it's a very blunt tool. Uh, it, it's it's expensive. You know, there were, there are some uh, third party studies that come out and said once you put in congestion pricing, you're looking at really the overall cost of going into the into Manhattan at, at you know over a hundred dollars. You know that that includes, of course, uh, vehicle wear and tear and, and gas and toll and everything. Uh, but you know. What it really comes down to is there is a finite resource. The roadway is the roadway, especially in somewhere like New York. You're not going to be able to add five lanes uh, on an avenue over there. Um, so how do you more efficiently utilize the resource that you have? And this is a tool that can uh, really uh, help prioritize, you know, reorganize, uh, uh, rationalize the, 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 the space on the roadway, uh, how we move and, and how New York moves, for example. Um, and it, it, is a, it is another tool in the toolbox to help them uh, become more mobile. And you mentioned well, in New York City, Manhattan is is really unique in this way, where people are using the subways. A lot of people walk. They're using those scooters or bikes. Could your technology help 
move some of those folks who aren't in a car, in a bus, or on a train move faster through some of these cities? You know, absolutely. And any and all modes of transportation uh, are on the table here, right? Right. We're looking at transit and, and bursting vehicles now, but the way that this platform is built, you know, hey, the sky's the limit. How we move, you know, we thought when the Jetsons were around, we thought we'd be even flying cars, right? So <laughs> who knows? Who knows where it would be? But it's it's a very valid point to say that, you know, how we move has changed and the way that every city moves is vastly, vastly different from one another. So understanding where the trends are and how to solve those congestion issues. I, I don't think there's many people that would argue with outside of a few cities that there's bicycle congestion, but it is worth prioritizing. You know, it is worth taking a look at. You reminded me about George Jetson. I think he was supposed to be born this year uh, mm -hmm. in order to have flying cars by the time he was an adult. Uh, but at the Vegas Strip, you know, and maybe you've been there. If you're trying to get over there at Caesars, the cars are trying to turn in, but you have 150 or 200 pedestrians trying to cross the street right there so you can't turn in you you have just as much pedestrian congestion as you do traffic congestion uh in las vegas yeah absolutely and and you know there's these unique circumstances you know uh the vegas strip is one of them and and they have tried mightily uh they they are throwing everything they have at it to figure out how to get people moving down there at the strip and, and we see it and and there's these huge huge congested corridors a lot of great minds, a lot of great engineers. My hats off to the city staff down there for for just it's an, it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I go to Vegas, it is absolutely insane. Um, so there's there's these technologies. They're going to pull all the tools out of the toolbox, be able to try to move folks. And they 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 still run transit down down uh, the strip. They still have to get workers, uh, you know, tourists to where they need to go. Uh, they've got the monorail. They've got a lot of a lot of choices. But again, um, it is going to be a long long uh, road to finding how to get people to move uh, fluidly. Because you would think the, La the Las Vegas casinos would want people in the casino and not spending time out on the strip walking between casinos. You would think you would want them to be spending the time at the tables and, and not walking around. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, ab absolutely. And and that's the thing, you know, and, and no one wants to uh, sit in that or stand and walk in that 100 plus degree heat in, uh, down the strip. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of these uh, projects that can help move folks, whether they're in vehicles, walking, you know, bicycle, whatever mode you choose, um, oftentimes takes some help from private industry, uh, from uh, vendors that have great technological solutions, from folks like you mentioned, the casinos, to make that investment. There is a public-private partnership that has to happen in a lot of these situations to move these huge masses of people uh, to where they need to go. Yeah, like at a convention, uh, you know, we have a convention, whether Las Vegas, here in Denver, I'm sure they're in Los Angeles or San Francisco. They'll have a convention at the convention center. You have a Super Bowls uh, out there in California, trying to move all those people at one place. That, that would be challenging. Do you have yeah. quantifiable data and how your technology has helped move maybe uh, some traffic or all traffic through a, a, a series of lights uh, faster or, or better than than before your technology was in place? You know, uh, we're, we're not as focused on looking at the uh, the time improvements for, for general vehicles or private drivers. We're, we're looking more at uh, transit emergency vehicles. And we have uh, information like, you know, on the emergency side, we've been able to increase uh, fire truck speeds up in, in, in that Sacramento, uh, the Sacramento suburb we're working in by 69%. Uh, 
Um, and this, these are first responders uh, that need to get to the incident scene. Uh, so we're really focused on those transit and first responders right now. Um, and of, of course, we're always crunching the data and looking at it, but uh, nothing quite yet to report. Okay, gotcha. And, it, you know, it, it is different to move traffic uh, whether it is just emergency vehicles and uh, transit, it's mm-hmm. it's in a, in a downtown urban core like San Francisco or Chicago or Boston, you're going to have a lot of people, you're going to have a lot more buses, you're going to have a lot more trains to try to get through these uh, many more traffic lights almost every single block. It's a whole different animal once you go 10 or 15 miles outside of a city into the mm-hmm. suburbs where you have fewer traffic lights and fewer transit options. And so mm-hmm. it, it seemed to me that you could have almost do both where you're priority t- prioritizing the transit in one area and and maybe prioritizing the flow of traffic in outlying areas. Right. All right. You know, it's, you know, going back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier about, you know, there's a certain scale needed for uh, for these prioritization technologies to really amp up the benefits for those cities. Um you know, the way our technology works uh, at Light, we love interjurisdictional uh, connections here, right? So if there are suburbs that go into uh, an urban core with a, with a transit service or uh, mutual aid, for example, uh, you know, that's a best case scenario. Getting folks in and out of the suburbs, in and out of the urban core as easily, as fluidly, as quickly as possible, uh, there's benefits to that. Um, but if you're if you're talking about a transit system out out uh, a little bit in a sort of an outer ring area, an outer suburb, um, you know they could have their own individual uh, congestion issues that that uh, that will need to be looked at. It's going to look different than what happens in a downtown area. But you know there's always a, a valid case for providing this sort of prioritization and preemption technology. Yeah, especially for emergency vehicles, just about you know almost anywhere. Especially if it's a wildfire here in in the West, or you know all about that in California, uh, or yeah. you know and uh, getting a bus around a I guess a congested downtown area. Uh, Bobby, thanks so much for for being here. If somebody wanted some more information, where can they go to get uh, some more details about all your technology? Yeah, visit our website at light.ai, that's L-Y-T dot A-I, or shoot us an email, contact at light.ai. And we're always happy. We want to talk to every city out there, every traffic engineer. And we also want to hear from from drivers and folks who are seeing unusual things on the roadway. Uh, you know, we're always happy to have a conversation. And where did Light come from? Where did that, uh, it, where, how'd, how'd you come up with the name Light? Oh, it's, it's a stylistic play on, on green lights. You know, we want to provide those perfectly timed green lights to folks uh, out there. And hopefully to, to every mode of transportation somewhere down the road. Uh, but for right now, just a transit and emergency and, you know, green lights. So LYT came out of that. Yeah, brilliant. There you go. Uh, Bobby Lee, Director of Marketing at Light. Thank you so much for uh, being here and uh, for all your information. Appreciate it very much. Thank you, Jason. I think Bobby was being a bit coy with some of the information about needing technology, some kind of transmitter on a vehicle that can talk to the signal box and change the light. Maybe it's just secret technology that they don't want to reveal or talk about or uh, or, or, let me know about. But um, the signal box needs to know that the bus or the fire truck or the ambulance or the police car is coming, right? But Getting emergency responders to a scene faster is a life and death issue, especially when someone is choking or a heart attack or a stroke like we were talking about earlier in the car that is not going to drive you if you had two beers and uh, the bartender cuts off his fingers um, as he's chopping up limes for your next Corona. 
Um, <laughs> I know, it's a weird scenario. I don't know why it popped in my head. It just did. Um, but there has to be some kind of other signal technology. Well, anyway, if you have some more uh, questions, you can always uh, contact them at uh, lightlyt.ai, and that's their website. Anyway, thanks again for listening. Thanks for being here. I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.